Welcome back to another episode of Sweet Script Stories. I am Eric Grubaugh. And I'm Tim Dietrich. Today, we want to talk about software tools. The tools and programs we use every day to write Sweet Script and maybe some other things. That's so, right. Yeah, so this was... Well, I know, Tim, you have recently discovered a new tool, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, start it's, there. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's kind of a joke, but yeah, recently I finally dove into using WebStorm and the SuiteCloud IDE plugin. So I'm finally really using SuiteCloud development framework. Um, inspiration for all that was you, Eric. <laughs> um, yeah, I... You know, I knew that it existed. I knew that I should be using it. I never really had the time to dig into it, you know, because there's never a good time to kind of pause your work and slow down a little bit to introduce a potential new tool. Um, I disagree. But I find, but... <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Uh, but I finally, I mean, I just felt like I had to do it. You know, it's, yeah. it's all the rage on um, in the NetSuite professional Slack and... Yeah, I knew I was missing out and that I would be more efficient if I just took the time to do it. And so I did. I finally, I finally installed it, got the IDE plugin going. Um, and, it, you know, it's, t it's taking some time for me to get used to it. Right. Um, I feel like, you know, in the past few days, I've started to turn the corner on that a little bit, getting used to it. Um, you know, every once in a while, I, I, the other day, I completely balled up a project by, I refactored stuff to the point that I don't even think WebStorm could keep up with me. I don't know what I was doing <laughs> <laughs> to the point that I was like, I'm just going to, you know, scrap that project and bring all the files back into a new like, fresh project. But um, yeah, I don't know what I did <laughs> anyway. Uh, but, you know, there's just stuff about it that, like, prior to that, and I know you, you're going to laugh, I've told you this before, but I was using BBEdit, which is just a really simple, you know, essentially a text editor on the Mac that's been around forever. Yeah. And, you know, I know it, like, I'm in it all day, every day, so I have certain efficiencies, just, you know, whether it's muscle memory or whatever. Um, but what I was obviously not getting were things like code completion and warnings and suggestions, you know, especially with regards to the, you know, sweet script. So right. that's interesting. And of course, deployment, I mean, we shouldn't even talk about that, right? Like what I was doing before the whole copy paste thing, <laughs> which is embarrassing, but it worked. And uh, <sighs> so now, you know, being in WebStorm, you know, you just deploy and it's up there and right. Yeah. I run into one of the caching issues that somebody else had mentioned on the Slack channel. So that was interesting. Um, anyway, I'm still jumping around between WebStorm and BBEdit. And uh, sure. hopefully I'll someday get to a point where I'm finding myself more in WebStorm than, than not. So. so that's my story, my recent discovery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kind of embarrassing, but there you go. I think a lot of us get, you know, we get set in a certain tool and, and habits and workflows and we get real confident and efficient and it's really hard to um, get out of those or like force yourself to even try uh, sometimes. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I'm a big WebStorm fan. I've been using WebStorm for four, at least four years now, maybe five. And I was really excited to see it become officially supported with an official plugin. Um, my friend and colleague Chris Reese had developed an unofficial plugin before before that, but now it is one of the official IDEs of NetSuite. So that's that's good. The other one, in case you don't know, is Eclipse which I was using before that for 15 years or something crazy like that. So I know all about the switching cost. Um, but WebStorm's a great tool, and I have never looked back. Uh, it's not free, so that's one thing that puts a lot of people off, but I think it's like 80 bucks a year, and oh man, the productivity gains are so worth it. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. There are things that it's doing for me when I'm working on SweetScript within it, like build it's a suggestion or a warning that, you know, it's it's kind of like having a code review, somebody looking over your shoulder and say, hey, yeah. do you realize you screwed that up or did you really mean to do that? And that's, it's weird and awesome <laughs> at the same time. Um, right. You mentioned the Eclipse. Uh, any thoughts on one over the other? Like, I know that you're in WebStorm now, but why did you switch? I switched because Eclipse, I think it was around like Mars. Eclipse names their versions after like planets and astronomical things. Uh, around like Mars, it just became this massive resource hog. And so it would take on the order of minutes to start up it would just, you know, the longer I was in it, which at the time was all day, every day, it would slow down. It would get progressively slower and slower and slower. I'd have to, re, you know, restart it multiple times just to get it to be faster or be usable. And that was the primary impetus for switching. And once I saw that WebStorm has a, preset key binding setup for Eclipse keyboard shortcuts. <laughs> I was immediately sold. I switched that day and uh, I haven't looked back since. I see. So the on-ramp from one to the other is easier as a result. Like your muscle memory wasn't suddenly yeah. broken. <laughs> right, exactly. It's strictly wow. because of that, that keyboard, that key binding setup was like was easily the selling point for me. I use keyboard shortcuts all the time. And Eclipse does have some great ones for code productivity that I haven't found in a lot of other IDEs. So and so WebStorm having those same shortcuts and having a preset built in for hey, we know you're coming from Eclipse <laughs> uh was was great. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So maybe we should talk a little bit about kind of the, the, the official ecosystem and just talk around that or the kind of the other things we use to fill in the gaps. So the two official code editors are WebStorm and Eclipse. And by official, I mean there are plugins built by NetSuite that you can use to uh, in those IDEs for code completion, for deploying, or comparing, validating your project, all that sort of stuff. So they include the Suite Cloud Development Framework functionality. 
right there in the item. Um, then, very recently, they have released the... There is a Java CLI command line interface. There's also now a Node command line interface for SDF, and there's also a unit testing framework. Um, we will have links to all of those. They're open source on Oracle's GitHub repository. Um, you can find all, all kinds of details both there in the help docs or drop by the NetSuite professionals in the SDF channel. Uh, a couple of the NetSuite tools team leaders hang out there and will answer questions and observe and listen to your feedback. Um, so that's kind of the official. There's WebStorm, Eclipse, the SDF CLI, and then the unit testing framework is based on Jest, which is a pretty popular JavaScript unit testing framework. Are you using any of the command line interfaces? Yes, that is how I do. I don't use any of the IDE. Um, SDF functionality. So when I set up a project and when I deploy a project, I do I do that in the command line. I have a bunch of shortcuts set up so that it's really concise and fast. Um, it's just a very, it's a nice customizable environment. I'm very comfortable in the command line. I know not everyone is, so having that user interface is, is nice, but I do all of my source control interactions and all of my kind of project deployment interactions on the command line. Okay, great. Yeah. So I am using, I use WebStorm. I use SDF to do project setup and deployment through the CLI. I, I am dabbling with the unit testing framework. Uh, I'm excited about having that. Uh, not quite sure how to get it into every project yet um, or you know what's the best way to, to work with it but I'm working on it <laughs> I'm playing around with it experimenting um, but I am excited to see where that goes and see what other people are doing with that um, okay so I mentioned source control I do even though it's just me, I still use source control. I use Git for all my projects. I have a repository, it's a separate repository for every single project. Uh, so not even every client, every project, every individual project gets its own repository, its own SDF project. Uh, I use GitLab to host Git. Uh, what else? <laughs> Do you use source control? You know, I don't use it on every project, um, but it's I'm starting to really move more in that direction. And I'm hosting all the repos on Amazon's uh, code commit service, which I don't think a lot of people use that, but I do. I, I use a lot of AWS stuff, which I'll talk about sure. later. But so that's where the repos are. Um, I do typically have one per client. Um, but I like your idea of doing it like one repo per project. It just, I don't know, it just seems like that would be a better yeah. way to organize things. Um, it just, it kind of depends. It just really depends. I've seen, I've seen plenty of teams, worked with plenty of teams do a per client basis. Works just fine. Yeah. Um, 
just kind of up to you and your team and your workflow and how just how you like to organize things. Right. I use, you know, I'm on a Mac, so right. I use a Git client that's called Tower, um, yeah, which is available. Yeah, it's available for Mac and Windows, and it's really nice. Um, you know, it's I, I think it just simplifies Git, and I don't mm -hmm. claim to be a Git expert. I don't even really want to be. <laughs> Probably <laughs> more dangerous in it right now than anything else. Right. But um, but that's basically it. Um, you know, you, being solo, it's it it's easy to not have a formal, you know, code repository. At the same time, you can get yourself in a world of trouble if you don't right. have one. So, and earlier in my career, um, I was a visual source safe uh, guru mm -hmm. slash enthusiast. And I don't know what happened over the years where I just sort of <laughs> let that go. <laughs> yeah. It was a good habit that I, it just seems to have faded away. Um, Interesting. I need to bring it back. And that's one of my goals actually for next year is to just go a little bit deeper into that and a bunch of other things, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's my recommendation on the Git client. I did some research on that prior to uh, choosing tower and I was holed up one day waiting for my son. I don't know where he was, but I was you know, waiting to pick him up from something. And I, uh, for whatever reason, that was the day that I was going to dig into Git. We found yeah. Tower, and within a few hours, I was up and running. Had a code commit, and, you know, repo up there, and you know, success. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. Well, I, you can always ask me because I am a huge proponent of source control. I'm going to try to avoid the rabbit hole here, but it is the foundation of any uh, solid, efficient software process. So. I use it, I do, <laughs> I probably go a little overboard with it being solo. I do, I, I have a branching scheme I use for every project. And even though it's just me, I cut reviews for every single, or I cut branches for every single feature or fix. I do my own pull requests so that I, <laughs> I review my own code um, just as like a, you know, mostly as a sanity check before I merge and deploy it. So, uh, and I was just writing a, I'm writing a, a, an email course on, you know, kind of how to, how to plan your source control setup. And so I was looking at all the, the uh, user interface clients there are, like Tower, Source Tree, or uh, there's, there are dozens, <laughs> turns out. <laughs> there is a, a client for everyone if you want to use Git. And I think that that this whole topic would make a great future episode, you know, where we maybe go a little bit deeper on it without, for sure, you know, being overly technical. I will be, be happy to do that. Yeah, I know you're really enthusiastic about it, and um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I've really started to rethink, uh, you know, how and when I use Git. It shouldn't just be something that I use, you know, if a client requests it. A lot of them don't even know to request it. They don't, they don't have any idea right. what it is. But it's a great way, you know, even if you are working solo and not necessarily collaborating with someone, I think it sets the stage for when you do need to collaborate and maybe share or pass the code off to another sort of, you know, pass the torch, so to speak, on a project. So, yeah. and I think, you know, I think you're kind of like me in that some of the clients you work for, 
they have IT staff, you know, in house, and you're kind of being brought in as you know, you know, in a sh on a short term basis, you know, for a certain specific need, and it's it's great to be able to, I think, just give them access to, you know, the code that you code you created um, in a way that they're familiar with. So it's like, and I do think we should definitely go deeper on this in a future episode. Yeah, I could talk for far too long about it. So we better, we better yeah. reserve it. Um, okay, so I, I kind of mentioned features and fixes. How do you, how do you keep track of what you're going to do? How do you keep track of what you need to do? So I mentioned earlier that I, you know, BB edit is like, uh -huh. you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm in it all, literally all day, every day. I'm actually like in it right now, even as we're talking, because it's where sure. I have my notes for the episode. So okay. it's, it's sort of scratch pad and it's my to-do list. It's where I write code. Um, and so, wow. you know, basically I have projects, I have folders for every project I'm working on. And within it, typically right up at the top is a, almost like either a manifest or a to-do for that particular project. And that's where I, I keep track of everything. I'm a, a note freak, you know, taking notes all the time. I had been using Evernote for a while until that sort of got weird. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, but that's basically where I'm keeping track of everything I need to do. I'm pretty meticulous about, and this again could be another entire episode, but you know, like how I keep track of the the comments and the code changes inline and in header comments, and, uh, you know. So I'm pretty good about it, um, and also in how I name things. It's a system that works for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of what you were asking, but that's how I do it. Yeah, that's wild to me, but yes, that is what I was asking. I do, I do have, I use Notepad plus plus. Notepad plus plus is my uh, scratch pad and my kind of real basic, quick text editor. Um, that's another great tool mm -hmm. for people to use. I know some people use that as their complete. IDE, there's tons of plugins for it, things you can do. It's very cool, very easy. Um, but I do not keep track of my work in text files. <laughs> uh, I also take a lot of notes, but honestly, I handwrite most of them. So I have all kinds of notebooks, physical notebooks stacked up behind me and keep a fresh supply on my desk of pens. Um, it's really it's funny that you say that because I'm looking at my desk. I don't have a, like, if you said to me, Hey, can you write this down? I have to say, hold <laughs> on a minute. Let me go pen. get a pen. And then I'd come back and say, Oh, wait, hold on. I need to go get some paper. <laughs> so it's pretty sad. I am like a, almost hundred percent digital. I dread the day. Like when I go to get the mail and there's physical mail in the mailbox. Uh -huh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there's yeah. no, no writing anything down here. Um, if there was like an EMP or something like that, it would be as if my entire like Your life would just vanish. Life, yeah, all my life's work would be gone. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I, I I write things down all the time. That's how I, I retain things much better when I physically write them down than when I um, type them. However, I do not. I still do not keep track of my work that way. I use Asana 
to track my projects and tasks and my to-do lists. Uh, very simple, free project management tool. Uh, so that's, that's where I organize my life, basically. <laughs> my work life and my professional life, even. My, my personal to-do lists are in there as well. That's a great tool. I've used that for a long time. Some other great project management tools, especially for software teams. Anything from Atlassian, Jira, Confluence, Bitbucket, all extremely great tools for software teams and project planning and task management. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there are others. Those are those are my favorites, Asana and Jira for task management. So on a similar note to that or related note, again, you know, us both being contractors that do work for a number of different clients, what I've mm -hmm. found is that different clients have different ways of handling that, of managing projects. For sure. And as a result, I think it's actually sort of made me not want to use any particular one of them because I, <laughs> I think for a lot of reasons, but number one, I feel like I'm constantly or would if I agreed to use their systems, just constantly switching gears, um, you know, which would drive me nuts, you know, okay, now I'm in this, now I'm in that. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that? Um, I do, I still do all my normal um, stuff in Asana, for instance. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I basically only put the result maybe in in uh, the client's system. So I don't mind, you know, if a client asks me to use Jira or I have a client right now who uses uh, Monday, monday.com, which I had never heard of before. Uh, so they want me to use that. I, I've had clients who use Google, uh, Google Sheets or spreadsheets to manage all their tasks, which is a nightmare, but uh, it doesn't matter. I, I will take all my notes and organize my work uh, how I want to see it in my own system. And then yeah. if I have like a status update or a, a question or something like that, then that will go into the client um, system. But I don't, I don't necessarily break down my work in the client system. You know, I want it in my system the way I'm used to seeing it and working with it and moving it through my own process. And whatever then needs to, I will bubble up to the client system. Yeah. I think that's a good strategy. Yeah. Cause I mean, they don't need to, or want to see all of the stuff that goes into my, uh, you know, into my, cause I'll put notes in there of if I'm designing something and then I have to step away, which happens all the time. Uh, they don't need to see all my notes and all my intermittent or inter, uh, intermission <laughs> notes. Right. But I need those reminders for myself when I come back four hours later and can't remember what I was doing because I've been sitting with a toddler watching Sesame Street for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be a few hours or it could be that you wrap the project up and then you're back on it exactly. you know, a couple months later and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, your future self thanks you for the notes you take today. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, so just like I wouldn't, you know, send an email to a client summarizing all my notes or things I did, I'm not summarizing, detailing all my notes or the things, I, I also wouldn't put that in their system. I would just mm -hmm. 
put in there what they need to know, what they need to see, what they care about. And that's it. All right. So what's next? Uh, how about, so from there, you mentioned like coming back to work. And, I, and so did I, I guess. But how do you go about, what do you use for documentation? But not necessarily task management, but documentation tools. So again, almost everything I'm doing is in BB Edit at this point. Even, you know, documentation for like that's being handed off to a client. In some cases, I will, like if it's a custom API or a web application, I will put more formal documentation together. Uh -huh. um, usually I deliver it as um, in the HTML, either application or document in a single document. It depends on, you know, the nature of the project and how involved it is. But, right. So there's that. I'm going to um, ask you what your calendar is and you're going to tell me it's BB edit. Right. No, it's not that. No, I actually <laughs> the just the standard Mac calendar. I've been tempted to, you know, use one of the, you know, the third party calendars. Um, but calendar does what I need it to do. I kind of go through phases of living in my calendar. Uh, I don't know if that phrase resonates with you or if you've ever done that, but I'm sure that people listening have done that where you know, you go nuts and you try to put every single thing that you need to do on that day on your calendar and block it off. And some days it works and some days it doesn't. And then I'll do that for a while and I'll get frustrated and then I'll sweep my cal calendar yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then just say, okay, these are the things I'm going to try to do on a certain day without it being tied to a certain time. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, I just calendar. Right now I am actually in a living in my calendar phase and I'm hating life as a result of it. Because <laughs> nothing ever actually happens when it was supposed to, right? You put it on the calendar and good luck. So, so that's that's how I, I'm scheduling stuff. And it's challenging. It really is, especially when right. there's not enough time in the day. Um, how about yourself? How are you scheduling things? Where do you track that? Yeah, I'll circle back to documentation, but I I do between Asana and my calendar, um, pretty much anything that is with or dependent on other people goes in my calendar. So say recording this podcast or you know, client meetings, things like that. So if there's other people involved, it's on my calendar. Mm -hmm. um, or if there's a place I need to physically go, say the doctor or something like that, uh, that goes in my calendar. And everything else um, or anything with a specific date and time is almost always in my calendar. Right. And then everything else where it's, you know, stuff I want to do today or this week or whatever that might be with maybe no specific day or time that is in asana and then i just have basically asana and my calendar are 50 percent of my monitor all the time of one monitor they each take up 50 percent of one monitor all the time uh, so i switch desktops i use windows uh, virtual desktops and desktop one is to-do list and calendar and then maybe a browser on the other monitor. And desktop two is 
whatever I'm actively working on. So code editor or, uh, you know, email broadcaster or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I definitely, I, I, a lot, several years ago, I adopted the getting things done uh, productivity system, which is basically amounts to write everything down. <laughs> everything you want to do, write it down somewhere, store it somewhere so that you, your brain doesn't have to think about it and remember it anymore. Um, so that's a great place to start. And so I do that. I dump everything into Asana or the calendar as soon as possible and yeah. then i can forget about it because they will tell me <laughs> when i need to know yeah i do the same thing i find especially like if there's some you know idea that comes up or something and i if if i'm not careful i'll start to immediately want to dig into that thing yeah start to yeah sometimes i sometimes i don't resist the temptation and end up you know basically doing something that i shouldn't be doing at that time or whatever mm -hmm. but I have found that if it, if you just take a moment and just save it somewhere, for you it's Asana. For me, I have folders for, for every idea, right. everything I, I might want to explore. Mm -hmm. Just it's kind of like just get it in a place where you can feel good about knowing it's there, and then you can get back to what you should be doing. Right. And what's interesting about that, and I wonder if this happens with you, when I do that and i often when i come back to that what i thought was a fantastic idea oh this is the greatest thing since sliced bread i'll get back to it later and be like what was i thinking you know like yeah. <laughs> i don't know whether it was because i was in the middle of the night or early in the morning you know what i don't know what i really i don't know what i was thinking when i originally had the idea and thought yeah. oh that's a good one it sometimes it's a good time. idea sometimes it's a good idea but it's not a good idea for me you know <laughs> that's right. another thing you know like yeah this is great, but don't let somebody else build this. Yeah, there are distractions like that all the time. Yeah. Uh, yes, that happens to me to me all the time. Yeah. Uh, I have I certainly have that where I have things set up um, to what I want to do right now or what I'm doing at this time, and then I get distracted and I, or I give in and you know something shiny pops up and I have to chase it. Um, that happens <laughs> certainly. But if I schedule something, you know, there can be projects, especially for, you know, that aren't client facing, but that are maybe something to build my business, right? A new product I'm working on or, or something like that. Those are really hard to resist sometimes. So I have to, I have to schedule them so that when I do get, you know, a spare half hour or 45 minutes and I sit down and think, okay, what, what do I want to do? If I know that those nice shiny things are scheduled for later, I can at least say, okay, I know I, I know I have time set aside to work on that. So what do I need to do right now instead? <laughs> yeah. I think we talked about something like that in the last episode, which is just try to schedule time for yourself. And yeah, you know, if it's a couple of hours like Friday morning of every week, you know, for three hours or whatever, it's your time, do whatever you want. That's the time to pursue those ideas and loop back and the, again like is this really a good idea does it you know is, should i do this is there a better use of my time so yeah at least knowing that you have some time set aside on your schedule to do that i think helps as well it lets you get back to what you need to be doing knowing that later on you've got time to pursue that thing so 
So kind of went off on a tangent there, but I think yeah. it is interesting that we both do the same thing, you know, because you need tools to track all that stuff too and manage even your side projects, you know. It's, right. It's so, so, so stressful to try and keep, like retain all that stuff in your head or not to not just like know where to go to look for what am I going to do right now or what am I going to do this week? Mm-hmm. So I... I have to get it out of my head so that my brain can forget about it and focus on something else. Um, it's, it's mandatory for my quality of life. Uh, I can't rely on my brain to remember all that stuff. Yeah. So I have to get it out of there and write it down and put it in a place that will automatically remind me um, so that I don't have to think about it ever again right. until I need to. Okay, so I started this with documentation. What do I use for documentation? Right, That's absolutely. definitely a case where I do use the client system if they have one. Uh, so if they're using Google Docs or Confluence or whatever it might be, then I'll I'll build documentation in their system. You know, if I'm flowcharts or system diagrams, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, then I'll use that. But for code documentation, I I use JS Doc. Uh, that's what NetSuite uses to document their tools. That's pretty much what every single JavaScript team I've ever come across uses to do their documentation. Um, that's a great tool. It's nice and simple markup, basically for your for your code. And if this is the sort of thing you do. It's really nice because you it's a command line tool. It's both a standard of how do you document certain things, right? How do you document a function and what its inputs are, what its outputs are, that sort of thing. But then also it's a command line tool that will will read that documentation and spit it out as HTML. So you can then say publish it to a website. So if you're building an integration, you're designing a series of restlets maybe for access into NetSuite. You can document all of that in code, the inputs and outputs and expectations, errors and all that stuff. You document it in your code and then have the command line generate HTML, publish it to a web server, and now anyone using your API, boom, can access it without you doing anything extra. Mm -hmm. So that's what I use for code documentation. You're quiet, and that worries me that you don't do code documentation. <laughs> I do. I don't use <laughs> JS Doc. You know, um, if you look at some of the code that I've shared through my blog and open source stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I have a certain style that I use for documenting right, individual yeah. scripts and, and stuff like that. Um, I tend, and again, like this it could be an entire episode you know, itself, but I tend to document code in a way where I'm assuming that the person that's going to read it either isn't technical at all for whatever reason they're looking at my code, which I've actually had people do before and then say, you know, I think I can follow along with this. So there's that. Or they are technical and they're not familiar with whatever, you know, the technology is, whether it's programming language, whatever. And I think that goes back to just work that I've done 
throughout my career where I have been writing code that other developers are going to need to work with who, again, are, you know, they're new to whatever it is that we're doing. So if it's sweet script or whatever, they can sit down and look at the comments and really just make, you know, hopefully it makes sense to them. And then I, I've joked with you before, you know, in the past, and it's really not a joke, but I also do it for my future self, you know, again, like I might work on a project today and it might be, you know, six months from now, a year from now that the client comes back and needs something done to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to reacquaint yourself with what you did and why you did it. So there's that. So, so I don't really yeah, follow. Why. Yeah. And sometimes you look at something and you think, you know, why did I do it this way? You know, right. why did I take this strange approach? And what? You know, and then, you know, you read in the comments, you're like, oh, that's right. There's this gotcha that I found that mm. this was the workaround or whatever, which I dread, you know, the fact yeah. that those exist, but if they do, it's <laughs> good to know it. that in they're every there. System. Every yeah. system in that system. Absolutely. So it's better to write it down like, okay, yeah, I found this goofy thing and I don't want to ever have to deal with it again. So, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, put it in all caps or something <laughs> so that you pay attention to it. Yeah. And it's um, definitely better. I don't, I don't do a lot of documentation outside of code because it's so much better to have that documentation right where you need it, right in mm -hmm. line with the code that it, you know, uh, applies to. And again, like we could talk about this forever, but I tend to be very verbose with the codes to the point of, you know, being Captain Obvious about it, right? Like, <laughs> I has, you know, you could read the code and it's almost word for word what the comment is. The reason I do that is when I go to write whatever, you know, whether it's a restlet or, you know, even if it's something out in PHP or whatever I'm developing in, I write comments first essentially just write meta code and then go back behind myself and actually start to write the real code so you know that that's why the comments are there and it would be easy to just strip all the comments out but i figure why bother just leave them there because that person that might come along later and want to read the code that isn't technical again they're not going to have any problems at all and what a great way to learn uh, about that programming language or that system that you're developing, you know, to have comments and code side by side. Now, of course, the gotcha is sometimes the comments don't match the code, in which uh -huh. case you've completely sent somebody off. They're like, I know you said in the comment that you're going to do this, but the code, I don't think the code does what you said. Uh -huh. And I, yeah, so that is, there's the danger there. But I think it's right. better to have that potential danger than to not have any comments at all. So, and of course, there is the middle ground of just comment what isn't obvious, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I so I I do not like uh, comments that restate the code statement. So I see it a lot for mm -hmm. like you assign a variable to a specific value, and then there's a comment that says like set x to five. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we don't like the code should be self-documenting. It, like you say, code mm -hmm. code is written to be read by people, uh, unless you're yeah. writing machine code, I guess, or uh, assembler. <laughs> but 
the code should be self-documenting. And then I document, I focus my documentation on two places. Things that are not obvious, so the gotchas or the why we did something a certain way as opposed to what this line of code is doing. Um, and then I also document the boundaries of pieces of the system. So functions, their inputs and outputs. You know, what does this function expect? What's it going to give you back? And what are the exceptions? What might it throw or do if you don't give it the right thing or it can't find the right thing or whatever that might be? Mm -hmm. So I document the boundaries of functions, of modules, um, and then I try to write the, you know, the body of the function should be largely self-documenting. It should be small. Uh, and it, if anything in there is, is complex or not obvious, then that is what I will explain in comments as well. But I do not like, if there's a comment on every line of code, something has gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't like my code. <laughs> it's just different, right? I mean, we have different styles of coding, and I can see the value of your approach, and I think there's value in mine, but I think the value is going to depend on who it is that's reading the code. You know, again, if it's a junior developer, somebody starting out, or just a non-technical person, then... You know, I would hope that those comments are helpful. But to your point, like, what are the chances that that's going to be the kind of person that's reading the code? Yeah. Right? If I'm, I mean, there are so many different vectors for teaching people code or what something is doing that aren't just commenting every line of code. Um, yeah. Yep, that's a good point. I mean, what better way to potentially learn uh, that language than to just sit down and, and, you know, work your way through the actual code itself without the comments or just comments where they really are needed. Um, my fear though, is that, and I've seen this and you probably have too, when you look at code that other developers have written, the way they name things, the way that they have architected the code <laughs> itself, like it uh -huh. may not be as uh, apparent to someone else as it was to that person. Like, yeah. you know, some crazy naming scheme that they're using. Yeah. You know, right. So in a perfect world, I think the code would be readable and it would just flow. Um, that's not always the case. I would almost argue that's not usually the case. We sure have gone down the rabbit hole on this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just, said, oh, no, we... I was just about to pull us back. To, yeah. That's, that's a great segue because I think that sort of thing, you're totally right. Everyone writes code differently. Every team writes code differently, does things differently. But that is where code conventions and standards come mm -hmm. in. That's where code reviews come in. Um, super important processes and um, standards or conventions to set as a team. Obviously for us as consultants bouncing around from client to client, not every client is going to have the same standard and convention. But 
they should have hopefully they have some where you can help yeah. them establish some i was um, just going to say it's not only that they don't necessarily have the same standards from client to client some clients just don't have them at all yeah, most and even most some developers teams don't have them right um, so there's there's no con, uh standard at the team level and in some cases even when you look right. at the work of a developer from one project to the next that they've worked on there's no standard either it's not yeah. so that's troubling as well so yeah it's so to bring it back to tools i do have my own set of conventions and standards that i follow and i use eslint to enforce those so webstorm by default comes with eslint it's just uh, an automated tool you can use that will you, you set it up with a whole bunch of preferences, and there are a ton of them. You configure it with things like, uh, do you use double quotes or single quotes for strings? Uh, like, all, There's hundreds, maybe, of preferences you can set, and it will automatically scan your code base and either flag things as warnings. You can, you can say, if I violate this preference, make that a warning or make it an error or ignore it. Um, so you can use, so in general, these tools are called linters. So ESLint is one for ECMAScript or any ECMAScript language like JavaScript. Uh, very important tool, very important part of the process. It will automatically tell me that I have unused variables or that I have I didn't put a semicolon on some line, which I know is optional, but I don't think it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, it will automatically enforce my code conventions for me, and it will tell me where I have violated them, and it will prevent me from building or deploying my code if I do have any errors in my convention. So it's not; it doesn't have to be this abstract, like, ethereal, remember to do this. You can actually... Uh, very forcibly, very forcibly enforce your standards and conventions with a linter. Uh, and like I said, WebStorm comes with ESLint built into it. So you can just set it up directly in the IDE if you want. Highly recommended. And it will, in addition, it will automatically fix certain things if it can. So if, if say, the double versus single quotes, if you say, make sure I always use double quotes, but you have, say, another developer on your team just likes to write with single quotes, uh, they can do that. And then they just run the linter over it and it will automatically fix all the single quotes with double quotes so that they can write their code the way they want, but then when it gets pushed or merged in the repository, it automatically gets converted to the quote-unquote standard or the convention of the, the team or the project or whatever it might be. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out in WebStorm. I have not, ah. not done that. But... Use linters, everyone, please. <laughs> That's a great tip. All right, so what next? What do you have on your list? Uh, let's see, what else? Those are the, so those are the things I use every, every day. Uh, Asana is tracking my work. WebStorm, I'm writing code. I'm using JSDoc and ESLint to make that code writing clear and efficient. I'm using Git and the command line to keep track of all my changes. Um, 
those are the things I'm using every single day. Um, the other stuff, I have some other stuff that kind of makes life easier in, in certain situations, I guess. So like third-party libraries I use all the time, or very frequently at least. Uh, Lodash, Lodash.js is an amazing utility library. It has a ton of functionality, so I'm not gonna try to like explain everything it does, but it is an amazing just general utility library for things that you don't want to be writing yourself. Uh, like, you know, if you have an array of data and you wanna group by a certain uh, property or properties, that's not an algorithm you need to write. That, that problem has been solved. <laughs> <laughs> so use a third-party library to do it for you. And Lodash mm -hmm. is a great one. And then moment, moment.js for dates, anything to do with dates, formatting dates, converting dates, doing date math, calendar math, time zone math, use moment or some third-party library. Don't write your own calendar logic or, <laughs> or clock logic. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> right. It's a thankless job for sure. I've used moment as well. So yeah, and it is, so moment has been, they've put it in maintenance mode in favor of some new like standards, but all of their suggested replacements don't are not compatible with NetSuite uh, in any version of SuiteScript yet. So still use Moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know what other tools. Do you have like a go-to for communication? How do you normally communicate with clients or teammates or whatever it might be? So for clients, um, and in some cases, you know, if I'm collaborating on something, like almost everything I do, I, I'm never on my phone. I can't remember the last time I actually had a phone call, and I, it's my phone is almost always on do not disturb, which drives some people crazy. But sure, yeah. You know, it's one less distraction. If I have a call with somebody, it's almost always going to be on Zoom. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, I have no problems. Like, I pay for it, love it. You know, I realize that there's a lot of people have issues with it lately, security issues and so on. But, you know, whatever. If somebody wants to listen to all my calls, so be it. <laughs> I hope they find me more fascinating than I find myself. Right. Anyway, that's primarily how I do it. Um, you know, again, being on a Mac, I'm using messages, you know, for, you know, texting and messaging people. Um, and I'm on Slack, you know, a lot lately, whether it's on the Slack for a specific client um, in the NetSuite professional Slack community or other communities that I'm involved in. Um, Can we say Slack now that it's a Salesforce property? <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but wow. Yeah, so for people who haven't heard, it looks like Salesforce is buying Slack. What was the price? Was it a ridiculous amount, $27 billion or something, something like crazy that. like yeah. that. Right, which, I, you know, there's yet another episode, but that would just be me like standing on a soapbox. I just, it's just mind-boggling to me that, uh -huh. anyway, I won't even finish uh -huh. the thought. But yeah, I'm in Slack all the time. That's pretty much, so it's, Slack, Zoom, messages, and as an absolute last resort, I will pick up my phone and talk to somebody on it, but it better be good. I've yeah. joked, you know, you'd have a better chance of calling, you know, I don't know, a 
the White House and getting the president on the line. You have an easier time getting him than getting me on my phone. It just, right. I just, I don't answer it. <laughs> it's it literally is sitting on my desk in do not disturb mode right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not just because we're on this. It would, you right. talk to me an hour or two hours before, it would have been the same way. So, how about you? What are you using? Yeah, I have Slack for almost everything. Uh, my coaching program is in Slack. I'm in the Nesri Professional Slack. A lot of my clients are using Slack. Uh, it's it's pretty much all Slack all the time. Um, and then email, of course, you know, a lot of my communication goes out over email, but I don't use it that much for like direct one-on-one. So I do a lot of email for my list and putting out effective sweet script content, uh, but I don't do a lot of direct one-on-one email if if you want if you have an emergency or something email's not the way to get a hold of me it's probably slack mm-hmm. um, yeah what else okay I, that pretty much exhausts my list so what else is on your list so i you know my list my bigger list is probably pretty odd when you're thinking of it in terms of sweet script development because the tools I'm going to rattle off aren't don't really necessarily have to do with it. But, you know, I do a lot of integration work. Mm-hmm. So I'm using tools to do, you know, develop web APIs and web apps, you know, right. portals and stuff like that. So I there are certain things I need that are not directly sweet script related. A good example, I use an application called Paul um, for all the API work that I do. It's a Mac-only um, API tool similar to Postman for those of you who know what that is. Yeah. And I just, I prefer it over Postman. Um, it's been around for a while now and it's it's pretty amazing. Um, really nice interface, clean, simple. It's one of those apps that there's not a day that goes by where I don't have that open, you know, at least once or twice, I, right. you know, always in it. Um, again, the catch there is that it's Mac only. so. There's that. Um, I use an application called Transmit for FTPing things and also for working with um, Amazon S3. It's got a, it's got really great support for that. Um, so, you know, basically I can treat an S3 bucket or just like, you know, an FTP server, which is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Um, it's reliable. It's fast. It's I can't recommend it enough. There's another app also that I sometimes use for when I'm working with S3, it's called Expand Drive, which uh, it is available not only for the Mac, but for Windows and Linux as well. It it basically lets you mount, um, you know, a remote service, whether it's S3 and S3 Bucket or Google Drive or Dropbox or whatever, you know, just as if it's a drive on your computer. And mm-hmm. so you can just drag and drop things to it. Um, that's a pretty nice application as well. And there are times where I will use that, you know, if I'm doing something in bulk, for example, moving a lot of files back and forth. So I thought I would mention that it's pretty affordable too. Um, I have rapid weaver down, which is I kind of consider that to be my secret weapon. And if you look it up online, you know, probably scratch your head and wonder why I'd recommend it, but it's a web design and development tool. It's Mac only. 
its magic isn't apparent because it, you know, primarily people are using it to put together, to visually put together web public facing websites. I use it for everything, public facing sites, portals that I'm creating, um, you name it. It's, I can't really explain in one little episode, like why it's so important to me. The, the catch is that it's Mac only. Um, if you're on a Mac and you're interested in doing web development or web design work, just take, you know, take a couple minutes and check it out. I think eventually you'll see why I recommended it. I, I, I guess I can actually say why it's, it, I think it's especially good for somebody like me who's, I would consider myself to be design challenged, you know, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> like that's not my thing. Um, if you're if you're like me and you you think CSS is a four letter word, <laughs> you know, like all you do is curse while you're trying to figure it out, then yeah, uh, you don't want me anywhere near your style sheets, right? And that's it, it hides you from all that. Um, it, it shields you from from all that stuff. So you can actually, even if you're not, you know, a great designer, you can sit down, you can build a really nice looking, um, you know, website or web application. Um, I use plugins with the app so that I'm you know, basically generating bootstrap and, you know, a lot of the jQuery stuff that's needed for interface type functionality. Just I don't have to worry about that. I can actually go in there and wire my stuff in and, you know, it ends up looking like you did have a dedicated designer, you know, or a team of designers that kind of helped put this thing together. And it was, it was just rapid weaver and then poor old me. So, <laughs> so there's that. So that's my secret weapon. Um, on the database development front, I use a product called Navicat, which has been around for a while. It's a, a nice database development tool that supports connections to like everything from MySQL, SQL Server, Oracle, SQLite. Um, pretty inexpensive. Um, you know, I need something like that for the projects that I work on where it's you know, the data that I'm working with isn't necessarily stored um, in NetSuite itself. So, uh, you know, interestingly, I find myself using it less and less. I'm now storing more and more of the project data that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. So just kind of an interesting strategy change for me over the past year or so. Um, the other two things I have on my list that aren't necessarily products that are more services are just in general, I use um, AWS, Amazon Web Services for a bunch of stuff. Um, I use their light sale service, which is kind of like AWS light, uh, you know, that's basically just more efficient and cost-effective ways of getting, you know, say an EC2 server or a database in the cloud. That's what LightSail is all about. It's a really nice service that they offer there. Mm -hmm. I mentioned S3 a couple times. I'm using that for uh, a number of projects that I'm working on or have worked on. Uh, they're MySQL uh, equivalent and Aurora, which is also uh, basically a cloud optimized or AWS optimized version of MySQL, uh, EC2 servers, and I mentioned code commit earlier. So I'm, uh, I'm using AWS for a lot of different things. Don't so. tell Oracle. 
Yeah, I think I mentioned <laughs> the last podcast or maybe the one before that, that I, you know, I've started to explore Oracle's cloud and it's, it's interesting to see their approach to these things, you know, and because so I, I did, I basically created the equivalent of an S3 bucket. I created a, the equivalent of an EC2 server. Um, you know, I spun up a MySQL database in the, this is all part of the trial that I did with them. And it's interesting. I just, I can't, it's hard for me to get over that hurdle of the different interface to it. Not that sure. one's better than the other, but I'm just more familiar with one than the other. So, uh, but yeah, I would love to sort of double back at some point and actually dig further into Oracle's cloud offerings. So. You have me like remembering my past lives where <laughs> spinning up EP2 servers and just, yeah. oh man, stuff I don't miss at all. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, if I never and, have to spin up another EC2 instance, I will be so so happy. Well, that's what makes the light sail thing so nice is that they and you you know if you do ever have to spin one up, check that service out because they make it easy. You know they have basically blueprints for hey you know I need an EC2 server for a WordPress site. Um, hopefully you know you don't need that, but if you ever do, they really make it easy. But um, but I know, and I know that I say this a lot in every episode. There's a whole other, you know, episode topic, which is the whole DevOps concept of cross-functional teams, and you know, and I guess what I'm getting at is it's good that you don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> yep, it's kind of like if you ever do have to again. You've probably made a bad choice somewhere, somewhere Something along that's the gone line. Terribly wrong. Yeah, yeah, but um, but there, you know, there's something at times exciting about that. You know, really being able to spin up a server very quickly. I did that yesterday for some stuff that I'm working on. I created a new server, you know, and within about 15, 20 minutes, I had it rocking and rolling. You know, domain pointed to it, SSL certificate on it, and you know, think back five years ago, ten years ago just what would have gone into making that possible <laughs> you know it, first of all you'd go crazy trying to do it all on your on your own and then you'd be wondering if it was is you know what did i screw up am i going to get hacked yeah <laughs> you know whatever so um, well if i ever need to spin one up i'll just i'll just send you a slack message because <laughs> i don't yep. want to do it <laughs> i don't want anything to do with it yep um, the last service that I have down really doesn't have anything to do necessarily with development, but it's something that I'm in all the time, which is FreshBooks. That's my accounting and bookkeeping um, oh, okay. service I use for that, which, you know, I wouldn't say I'm in it all day, every day, but usually at least once a day I'm in there, you know, tracking expenses, projects I'm doing by the hour, which you didn't hear that, but for those projects, I'm tracking the time in there, um, you know, so... Yeah, I highly recommend that service if you're on your own. Um, it's good for solopreneurs, freelancers, and also for small teams. Um, and it's a service that just continues to evolve. So highly recommended. So that's, that's quite as QuickBooks. QuickBooks self-employed for for mine. Yeah. Again, we're <laughs> talking about this on a NetSuite-related podcast, but... That's well, I mean, you know, as a free, say a freelancer, it, would you ever recommend NetSuite to a freelancer? Or I don't, I don't a, even just, know how you would get it by yourself. Uh, right. 
Yeah, sell me a, uh, a license for 10 users, even though I'm just one guy yeah, writing code. No, I will never have more than one. Right. Even if you did and you started to grow, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's some case where it makes sense. But, but yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to use it because, you know, it's kind of eating your own dog food, sort of, you know, as the phrase right. goes. Dog food, um, sure. Yeah, I would love to do that but no i i can't i'm not going to spend that kind of money just to keep track of expenses and invoices and right you know yeah maybe someday maybe maybe so that's my list all right do yeah, you have any i don't, don't have else? any others no i think we have we have gone through them all everything i could think of to talk about well, you know, we try to wrap every episode up with a cool thing. And um, the one that I chose this week, something I thought I'd share, has a lot to do with what we just talked about. It's a website that's been around for a while called usesthis.com, which mm -hmm. will have that URL in the domain name. It's kind of a cool site. Again, it has been around for a while. It is a, it's basically interviews with people who do all kinds of things. They might be developers. Um, they might be a cybersecurity expert, they might be an artist, a photographer, but basically they interview the person, you know, get them to talk about what they do for a living, and then they ask them what tools they use to do their job. And I just find it fascinating. You know, sometimes it's the stack that a certain developer will use, you know, that you, right. you know, sometimes it resonates with you, it sounds very much like what you're using, and in other cases, it's like, wow, you know, like, they do the same thing I do, but man, they're using a whole different set of tools to do it. Sure. Um, it's also a great way to discover tools that you might not be aware of. So um, anyway, if you get a chance, check that site out. We'll have the link in the notes. Do you have a, anything you wanted to share? Gosh, I don't know if I, I did not think of anything. I'm like racking my brain right now <laughs> trying to, <laughs> to come up with something. There's something to put in your calendar. Come up with something before the show. Yeah, a reminder on yeah. the night before, I guess, to, to have something yeah. ready. I don't have... Oh, you know what? I can't remember if I've mentioned this before, but there is... And it actually ties in with tools as well. I am a huge fan of... Like I said, I, I write things down all the time. And when I have an idea or i'm planning something out i love mind maps um, mm -hmm. but if anyone is familiar with the structure of a mind map and that like tool for brainstorming it takes up a lot of paper <laughs> it's, it's a huge it like gets real big real fast so i have never found a digital mind mapping tool until very recently i found a tool called mindmeister that is dead simple, free for a certain amount of mind maps. And it is just such a great brainstorming and planning tool uh, before the point where you're like laying out tasks, but more the, where you're just kind of establishing a vision for something, pro whether it's a dev project or, you know, a, net, a book you want to write or doesn't matter. Uh, any sort of brainstorming activity, mind maps are a great tool, and MindMeister is a great digital tool for making mind maps. <laughs> Don't ask me to say that twice fast. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful. 
you actually shared a mind map with me earlier in the week, one that you'd created in yeah. that tool. And it was really interesting to see it because even though I wasn't sitting there watching you as you went through the process of creating it, when you passed it off to me, it was very clear to me what you were thinking. Yeah, so yeah, that's a really cool tool. Very clearly of, of how ideas spawn other ideas, how they connect mm -hmm. together. <laughs> right. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So there you go. So you did have one. Awesome. I did. It, it, you know, right at the last second, I, I, I came up with it, but. All right, so we will link to pretty much all of this stuff. The show notes are going to be massive with all these links, but we will link to all of this stuff for your consumption later. Right, and if you have uh, a tool that you want to recommend, yeah. um, please let us know. And yeah, our we'll email addresses it. are right, right on the site. Yeah, awesome. All right, should we wrap it up? I think so. All right, well... Join us again next time for more Sweet Script Stories. Bye-bye.